God's definition of real love is different than how we have defined it. This message is the third in the series, Life. The message is entitled, Living in Love, Part 3. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Welcome to church on this wonderful Mother's Day. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. We're involved in a series of messages uh, entitled Life. One simple word, the word is life. We're talking about how to experience real life. You know, you can be alive and not really be alive. There are a lot of people that are walking around with physical bodies and physical life, but they're not experiencing the reality of the most fulfilling kind of life. It's quite interesting when you study the Bible, you begin to realize that God uses different words for the concept, the experience of life that goes far beyond our biology. We often think of life in terms of the bios, if you will, the biology of life, but God uses other words to describe life. One of those words is found in the New Testament when Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and that word is a Greek word called zoe. Would you say that word with me? Zoe. And that word is the word that we're focusing on in this part of this series and throughout this series together over these several weeks. We're talking about what does it mean to have the kind of life that Jesus wants us to experience, the Zoe kind of life. And that word Zoe, it's a Greek word that means two basic things. It means to be fulfilled and it means to be fruitful. The Zoe kind of life is a life where you're actually reaching your fullest potential, you're fulfilled in how you're living your life, and you're also fruitful. God designed you to be a fulfilled person not to live life in a frustrated way, but to live life fulfilled, and God designed you to be fruitful. He wants you to do something that is productive with your life. And so this is the kind of life that Jesus says that He wants to bring to us. Now, just as there are essentials in the biological life, you can't live without air, you can't live without water, you can't live without nutrition, there's some essentials when it comes to the Zoe kind of life. You can't live without love. You have to have love in your life. You can't live without being inspired. There has to be some sense of purpose, inspiration to your life. You can't live without faith. You have to have faith. It's a part of your journey that connects you with God and moves you into the promises of God. You cannot, you cannot really live without engaging in life. It's putting yourself into serving and growing in your life. And so these are essentials. And we're looking at these four essentials in this series together. And we've been talking about the first of those essentials. We've been talking about the importance of learning to live in and experience God's love. I want to continue with that theme this weekend. We're going to talk about two dimensions of the love of God that you and I need to understand personally because you can't have a real life without love. You need love in your life. You need love to not only come to you, but love to flow through you to the people around you. So let's take a look at two things that will help us to live in love, to understand God's love not only to us, but God's love through us to the people around us. And the first thing that I want you to remember this weekend is that we have to understand very clearly that God defines love differently than we define it. I think when all of us hear the word love, we have a certain conception about the word love. And in fact, it comes from the world around us. In fact, it even comes from the basic definition of the word love. I looked up love in the dictionary and it says this, a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection for someone, sexual passion or desire, strong enthusiasm or liking. Now, that definition, along with any definition you'll read from an English dictionary for the word love, often emphasizes passion and feeling. That to be able to love someone, you've got to feel something. To be able to love someone, there's something that almost is uncontrollable that you have on the inside of you, a kind of passion that drives you forward. And so we think of love as something that you can fall into and fall out of. 
Well, I'm in love. I fell into love. What does it mean you fell? Did you like, was it like a ditch or something that you fell into? Okay. Or I fell out of love. Well, like, were you not strapped in? What happened? Okay. You fell out. Okay. And so we think of love as being something you fall into or you fall out of and something that you actually feel on the inside or some kind of mysterious enchantment that sort of comes over you at some period of time that is outside of your control. And so these are the ways that we think about love. We think of it in very emotional terms, but God defines love very differently from God's perspective. Listen closely from God's perspective. Real love has very little to do with what you feel. It's not anti-feeling. It's very wonderful to feel certain feelings of affection for people, but you can love someone without actually feeling something for them. We know this because Jesus gave us a very clear set of instructions in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he said in verse number 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'll just stop there today. Love your How many know that you don't always feel so nice about your enemies, right? And so you can actually love them without feeling anything positive toward them. And so we see these kind of, these kind of phrases and, and commands throughout the Bible that you and I are called to engage in something called love without necessarily feeling it. Why? Because God defines love very differently than we do. Now, when you begin to act in accordance with God's plan and you begin to define love His way, feelings are attached to that, but feelings do not drive it. Listen to Paul as he writes about love in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Listen to the quality, the, the dimensions of this kind of love, and notice how different it is from the way we think. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one, that's Jesus the Messiah. You're filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness, possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest, and consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Amazing, isn't it? This is the kind of love that God describes, and from God's perspective, love is not first and foremost a feeling. It's not something you fall into or fall out of. It's not something that you just experience in life out and beyond your control. It is, has to do with some certain things that you will do in life. Let me give you five words that help you to understand what love is from God's perspective. Love from God's perspective is a commitment that you make, a commitment you make to God and a commitment that you make to others. And a commitment is really to pledge or to agree to, to do or be something toward them. We make a com commitment in marriage when you stand before a minister or someone in authority and you, you vow to one another, you give your marriage vows, that is a commitment, it is a pledge, it is an agreement. And so we have commitments that we make to people in life and these commitments are part of what love is all about. And so you stay committed even when your feelings are not there. And then second of all, love has to do with your decisions, the choices that you make. Will I choose to put others first before myself? Will I choose to walk in humility? Will I make choices in my journey with other people? that represent how God wants me to relate to them. And then it has to do with attitudes in your life. 
An attitude is a mindset that you have toward people. An attitude really is all about this mental position that you carry toward other people. And love is about adjusting your attitudes about people in a positive direction. It's about making sure that you're thinking the right way about people. And then fourthly, it's actions, what you do. And we'll come back to that one in a moment. And it's about sacrifice. You can't love without sacrifice. So notice these words again. When God says that we're to love, and when God commands us to love, He means I want you to make a commitment to people. I want you to make clear decisions day by day about how you're going to treat people. I want you to adjust your attitudes in the right way so that you're relating to people with the right mindset. I want you to do the right actions, whether you feel them or not, and I want you to make the right sacrifices. I want you to put other people before yourself in the right situations so that you can show and demonstrate my love. Let me bring you to a very clear definition of God's love because you can't have life without love, right? You can't have the Zoe kind of life without love. And so what does this love look like? Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read the first eight verses. You're familiar with these verses, but listen to them as I read them through from the Passion Translation. I love this translation of this particular section of Scripture. Listen closely. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, and yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging symbol. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but never had never learned to love, notice that phrase, learn to love, something you learn, then I'm nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motives of love, I would gain nothing of value. Now, here he comes out with the definition of God's love, how we are to relate to one another. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's, one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love's a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which one day will fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. We can summarize this. God is telling us that His kind of love, the kind of love that will help you to experience the fullness of life, is not about getting. The real kind of love, God kind of love, is about giving. It's not about being served. The real kind of love that God has for us is about serving the people around us, the choice to serve. With that in mind, I want to give you an example from the life of Jesus. Obviously, the greatest example of Jesus' service to us is the fact, and His love for us, is the fact that He went to the cross and He died on the cross for our sins. That's, there's nothing greater, no greater sacrifice than the fact that Jesus took the penalty for our sins. But I want to show you an example in Jesus' life that we, we kind of think of that as being the ultimate, obviously the ultimate sacrifice, but I want to give you in the ultimate dimension of love, but I want to show you another example of God's love extended to His disciples in John chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1. Let me set the stage here for you. Let me read verse 1, I'll set the stage for you. Jesus knew on the evening of Passover day that it would be His last night on earth before returning to His Father. Let me stop there for a moment. So what's the historical moment? 
that we're going to read about here in just a bit. It's the last night of Passover that Jesus is going to experience on earth. It's the Thursday before Friday he's going to be crucified. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and there in that upper room, he has all 12 of his disciples with him. Judas is there, and Judas is going to betray him. Peter is there, and Peter is going to deny him. And the next day, Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him the next day. Now, think with me for a moment. If you knew that this was the last day you were going to live and that tomorrow you were going to be hung on a cross and you're going to be ridiculed and you're going to take on the sins of all the world and God's going to put his, the judgment of sin upon you and you're, you're looking to that excruciating pain that you're going to experience and it's the night before, how would you be feeling the night before? What would you be thinking about it? if you were me, if I were you, if we were together in this, con- in this experience, I promise that we would most likely be in a big self-pity party. My goodness, what is life going to be like? I've got to face this. And the focus would probably have been upon ourselves. But here's Jesus on the night before he's going to be crucified. He's in this room with his disciples. Let's read now again what happens. Jesus knew on the evening of Passover day that it would be the last night on earth before returning to his father. During supper, the devil had already suggested to Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that this was the night to carry out his plan to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him everything that he'd come from God and would return to God and how he loved his disciples. So what was on his heart the night that he was going to face crucifixion the next day? He was thinking about how much he loved his disciples. Not how much he was concerned about what was going on with himself and what he was going to face, but here's this night, tremendous agony. We know it's going to be, we know he's experiencing agony because in just a few moments he'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll pray, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. So he's in agony, but nevertheless, in this moment, he's crying out, he's reaching out in love to his disciples. How did he communicate this to him? So he got it from the supper table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his loins, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around them. Here in this crucial moment of Jesus in his own life, he proved what love was all about. Love was not about being served. Love was about serving. I think we can all understand that God has a very different definition of love, does he not? It is not based in emotion. It is not based in feeling. It is based in commitment. It is based in decisions that you make. It's based in the attitudes that you have toward people. It's based in the actions that you take toward others. It's based in the sacrifice that you're willing to make for the people around you. Love, from God's perspective, is defined very differently. Now, that being said, let's go to the second main point today. Because the second builds on the first. Love... The love of God for for us to experience the life that God has for us, this love as God defines it must be prioritized and it must be practiced. The concept of love is something that all of us understand now based upon the definition God gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We now understand what love is. Love is commitment from God's perspective. It is, it, is, it is the decisions you make. It is the attitudes, the actions you take, the sacrifice. You make. We understand that conceptually, but it's one thing to understand something conceptually and to actually understand it practically. You can quote 1 Corinthians 13 all day and know it backwards and forwards and still not live in love. 
You can conceptually understand what the love of God is all about and nevertheless it not become a reality in your life. So love is not meant to be something you just simply academically or theologically or conceptually understand. Love is meant to be something that is prioritized and actually practiced in your life. How do you know that something is a priority, priority to someone? They give time to it, they give resources to it, and they take action according to it. That's how you know that something is important to someone. They give time to it, they give resources to it, and they take action according to it. So those are three elements. And so when it comes to love, love is not real love until we give time to it, until we give resources to it, until we take action according to it. So it has to be prioritized in our life, it has to become very practical. God wants you to be a lover, amen? And I say that in the general sense of the term, a lover in the sense of you living out and walking in the love of God toward people around you. So it's practice, not just conceptualized. It's easy to conceptualize it. It's difficult to practice it. But what God measures is not how much you know about his love. He measures how much you live in his love. He doesn't take note of, he doesn't give you a test uh, about how much you know about his love. He tests you on how much you demonstrate his love, correct? Ooh. With, with it together today, right? Got it? So the question becomes, how do we do this? Notice John's word and words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Let me tell you a little bit about John before we read this passage. John had a brother. His name was James. So when those two came to Christ, James and John, they were known as the sons of thunder. Think about that for a moment. So it really relates to the fact that more than likely, James and John were hot-headed guys. They were not the most loving people in the world. But the more that John especially hung around Jesus, the more love became a part of his life to the point that when he gets to the end of his life, and even to this day, he is known as the apostle of love. Think about that, how Jesus changed John from a hot-headed son of thunder to the apostle of love. If he can do that for John, there's hope for you. So John comes to the latter end of his life, more than likely when he writes these words in 1 John chapter 3, he's, he's likely about 90 plus years of age, and he, so he's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he writes these words to them. He says, little children, I like the way he says it, little children. When you're 90, you can say that to everybody, right? Okay, little children. Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by what? Our action. John said, hey guys, I understand you got all the concepts of love. You can probably quote Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, what love is, but let's stop just saying we love people. Let's stop just talking about it and let's really love them and let's show it by our what? Our actions. That's the key for us because to, to experience the life that God has for us to experience, you can't have life without love, right? You can't have life without love. You've got to have God's love in you, and God's love needs to flow through you to the people around you. So you can't have life without love. And so love has to be practiced. We have to bring it to our actions to have real life. And that means we have to make choices about our priorities and choices about our time and choices about our resources and how we're going to spend our life so that love becomes prioritized and practiced. Because there's a lot of times if we're not careful, we'll put things before people. Is that not true? and task before people, and we'll get busy, and we'll forget our relationships. We, we let entertainment sort of suck up our time, and all kind of things that get in the way of, of, the, of how we're going about living our life. We have these things that just hold us back 
from being the loving people that God wants us to be. And so I want to talk to us about what it means to really love. But before I do, I want to give you one more passage in Mark chapter 12. I want you to listen to something that happened one day. Here's a story of Jesus and a particular man in a conversation. And I want you to particularly notice what Jesus said to him about this love thing. And then we'll look at some practical ways that we do this. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 28, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Think with me for a moment. This man's with Jesus. Hey, Jesus got all these commandments. Which is the most important commandment, Jesus? I want to make sure I understand from your standpoint, what is the priority? What do we need to make sure we're doing? If we don't do anything else, let's make sure this is most important. This is what we practice. This is what we do. Jesus, what is the most important thing? Now, note what Jesus said. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. I think we should listen. Agreed? Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is, one, is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus said, hey, buddy, let me tell you what it's really all about. Of all the commandments, this is the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I think that from my perspective, Jesus could have stopped the conversation right there. He could have easily said, that's it, that's the most important thing, but Jesus did not stop the conversation there. He continued on and said this, the second is, what are the next two words? What does it say? I can't hear you. Equally important. Now think with me for a moment. What has he just said? The most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says this, the second is... Equally important? Wait a minute, you just talked to us about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now you're telling us that something else is equally important? What's equally important? He answers the question here. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus said, here's what I want you to understand. You can't love me without loving people. And you can't learn to love people without loving me. These two go together. Dear ones, I would remind you that that's the problem with our world today, and that's the problem with our lives today. You, we haven't wedded those two things, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor with ourselves. Those two make together the most important commandment of all. You can't take one or the other. You have to have both. Both of them in tandem make up the most important commandment. And Jesus said, this is what you must learn to do if you don't do anything else. This is the priority. This is what I want you to practice. Practice a life that loves God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And practice a life that loves your neighbor as yourself. When you've done that, you've brought together the two things that please the heart of God. So the question becomes, how do you and I do that? I want to do that. How about you? I want to get better at fulfilling the great commandment, don't you? So how do I do this, especially when it comes to people? Because I can't have life without love, and I can't just think that I know what love is by the concept. I've got to practice it, and so how do I practice love? Let me give you some things that are essential. I'll give you actually six ways to prioritize love in your life that we can all work on together over these next several weeks, and hopefully for the remainder of our lives, this will help us to learn to wed those two together. Here are six things. Number one, read them together with me. Number one, you have to do what? Read 
got to give time to God. You can't love on God without, without giving time to God. Why? Because you prioritize something by giving time to it. And the reason that you and I need to give time to God on a consistent basis is because you can't love without God loving you. Okay? That's why you love God first. That's why that's the beginning part of the equation because in connecting with God, you have the source of love in your life. And so it's vital. You can't love well unless you're well connected to God. And so we start by this, this understanding that we must spend time with Him. Can I ask you, how are you doing in your life in terms of spending time with God? This is not asked to, to make you feel condemned or guilty about anything. I'm just talking about how do you prioritize time with God? Do you have time with God? You take time preferably every morning to just spend a little time with God and say, God, I need your resource in my life. I want to spend time with you. I want to open up your word and let you feed me. Are you, are you doing well or do you need to do some improvement on spending time with God? You can't, have a, you can't communicate love unless you're connected to the source of love. You need a relationship daily with God. I need God every day, every moment, every hour in my life to fulfill his plan and purpose for my life. And you do as well. So you have to give time to him. The second thing is to make sure that you give time to people. You can't say, I love you, and never spend any time with someone, right? Especially in the people that are in close proximity to your life or close relationship to you. If, you're, if you say you love them, then love is, is spelled oftentimes T-I-M-E. And in the world that we live today, we've never been more well-connected and we've never been more disconnected. We're well-connected in the sense we have all the electronic devices, but so often in that well-connected technical dimension of life, we lose connection relationally with people. We don't know how to talk with people anymore. How many times do people sit down to a meal together and they're not talking to each other, they're texting somebody else while they're with another person, okay? Boy, I'm getting close to home today, right, okay? I know the temptation that's there. And so you, you're with someone, but you're not really with them. You're with someone that's not even, you're, you're not even with. And so we're spending time with people that we're not with and not spending time with the people that we are with. And so it breaks the flow of relationship. And so one of the things that we can practically do is when you have time with another person, you can, you can turn your phone off. I mean, that's practical, right? Okay. Come on, church. Say amen. Okay. <laughs> You can say, you know what, I'm just going to put my phone over to the side. I'm not going to spend any time because I'm with you right now. And you're special to me and you're important to me. And our time together is valuable. And so you push things, other things out of your life so that you can spend time with people and make, a, make time for people. So you can't say you love people unless you give time to the people, especially you can't give time to everyone, but you can give time to those that are most important in your life. And so you can't love without giving God time. You can't love without giving people time. Amen. Okay. So you give time to people. What's the third thing on your notes there? Read it with me. You got to forgive quickly. You know, one of the things that will really break the flow of love in your life is, is holding on to offenses. When someone really, really hurts you and you're offended by something, if you hold on to that for a period of time, all you're doing is consistently building a wall toward that other person. And it breaks the relationship, and before long, the wall becomes distance, and distance becomes isolation, and isolation becomes divorce. It becomes the pushing away of the relationship. And so it's so vital that when someone hurts your feelings or you have something in a relationship that you make the choice, I'm just not going to hold on to this. I'm going to let go. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to do it very quickly. You might say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. You know, forgiveness has nothing to do with the deserving of another person. 
When God forgives you, it's not because you deserve to be forgiven. I've never deserved to be forgiven by God, but God forgives me anyway because of his love for me. And so that same love demonstrated toward other people says, you know what? You may not deserve to be forgiven, but I'm choosing, again, love is a choice. Love is a decision. I'm choosing to forgive you. I'm choosing to wipe the slate clean. I'm choosing to rip that page out of the manual and say, you know what? It's gone. It's done. It's over with. I've let go of this. I've washed it clean from my own spirit. I'm not holding this in my life. And that allows love to continue, love to be refreshed, love to be revitalized in your life. And so you make the choice. Say, God, I've got to spend time with you. And boy, I've got to make some time for some people in my life. I've got to, got to cool the busyness a little bit and spend some time with people. I've got to make sure that I'm not holding on to anything in my life. And what's the next one there? Oh, that's very weak. All right, here we go again. Apologize how? Promptly. Apologize promptly. When you do something wrong in a relationship, one of the best things you can do is not sit on it, but to immediately go and say, you know what? I realize that what I said or what I did was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Why? Because what that does is it opens up the opportunity for the relationship to be revitalized again. You've taken the initiative. Again, love is practical. You can easily say, I understand the concept of love, but would you agree with me that sometimes making an apology can be hard? You know what gets in the way of apologizing? P-R-I-D-E, right? I don't want to be the first one to admit. If you come to me, then that's all right, but you know what? I don't want to be the first one coming out and saying I was wrong. But love says, you know, I'm willing to take that step of humility and acknowledge that I've made a mistake here, and that opens up the flow for interaction once again. Notice the next thing. What does it say? Learn to speak the love language of other people. You know what? If you're going to have a relationship, you better learn the, love, you better learn the language the other person speaks when it comes to love, right? If you have two people that speak different languages, you ever been in a situation where you know one language, somebody else knows another, and you're trying to talk? You ever had that before, okay? And you know nothing about their language, and they know nothing about yours. I mean, it's a mess, okay? It's, I mean, you don't have cloak, I mean, you're doing hand motions, trying to communicate. You might get a little bit of something that's going on, but you know very little about what the other person's really trying to say. Well, that's so true in the, in the love dimension of life. See, love for me means something perhaps than love means for you because I have a love language and you have a love language. And so if, if, you're, if I'm going to be effectively communicating love to you, I, I can't just talk to you in my language, right? Because I can talk my language all day long and you'll have no clue of what I'm trying to say. I may be trying to communicate to you that I care about you or love or concerned about you, but if I'm living it, if I'm speaking it in my language, then it's not going to, it's not going to cross the, the borders, the boundaries. And so I have to learn the language that you speak so that I can communicate well, and you have to learn the language that I speak. There's a tremendous book, if you haven't read it yet, called The Five Love Languages, or Five Languages of Love. I said last night, it's true, I can never remember the name of the book, but it's something like that, okay? It's by Gary Chapman, okay? I do know the author. If you haven't read that book, it's a book I would highly recommend. It's a tremendous book. In fact, I need to go back and reread it again. It's the kind of book you ought to read about once a year to remind you of these kind of things. But people have love languages, and you can be effective in your communication of love when you know the language that somebody else speaks when it comes to their love language. Learn that. It's valuable to relationships. The last one is, read it with me. Do all of the above so consistently that they become what? They become habits. 
But over time, you do these, these five things above, you do it so consistently that it becomes a part of who you are. Real love has to be prioritized and it has to be practiced. Let me conclude by asking you a question. I want you to imagine with me that you're at the end of your life, you're on your deathbed, you're about to breathe some of your last breaths, you know that you're gonna leave this life and go to the next life. And there on that deathbed, as you realize my life is just about over, what are you going to want around you more than anything else? What? Say it again. Somebody said, what? People, right? The people that you care about, right? You're not, going to lay, you're not going to be on your deathbed saying, oh, would you please bring my car in here? I want to touch it one more time. Right? Please bring my diploma. I want to hug it again. Oh, and that trophy I got when I was in high school, I'm so, I, can, I just, can I just see it one more time? There's not a single thing that you'll ask for when you're on your deathbed. Not a single thing when it comes to a, a material thing. You'll say, I need that. What you're looking for are the relationships that you formed in life. And when you're at that last breath of your life, what you'll say is, you know what was really most valuable to me? Not that car I thought I wanted so much or that whatever it might be. What I really want in my life is I want people in my life. And dear ones, you're not going to have people in your life unless you develop relationships with people, right? And relationships with people require effort. And it's what makes life life, okay? You can't have Zoe. You can't have a Zoe kind of life without having love in your life. And to have love in your life, Jesus said it's this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we had today to study your word. We're grateful for the reminder that life involves love. And Lord, we want to be people who learn to live in the love of God, not just conceptually. We understand that love from your perspective is very different. We want to get that definition but, Lord, we want more than a definition. We want, want it to change the way that we act and live. We don't want to just speak about love. We want to do it. So, Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that you'd work in each of our hearts. I pray that we would begin to live out the great commandment. We would learn to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to do what is equally important, to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform something in each one of us so that love becomes a priority in our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.